Well, I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And from verses 1 through 4 of 1 Peter chapter 5, over the next several weeks I want to preach a series of messages which I've entitled, Shepherds and Sheep. Shepherds and Sheep. And in this series I want to highlight the biblical features of of the pastor's disposition and responsibility toward God's sheep and the disposition and responsibility of God's sheep toward their pastors. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And before I read the text, let me make sure that you understand when Peter uses the word elder or elders. He is not speaking of one's age in life, but one's position in the church. The elders mentioned by Peter are gospel ministers. They are spiritual shepherds, pastors, overseers, leaders. Peter is a gospel minister and spiritual shepherd exhorting other gospel ministers and spiritual shepherds who are among the flock. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, the elders, the shepherds, the pastors, which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And with our primary attention being given to the first part of verse 2, I want to preach a sermon entitled, The Holy Calling and Responsibility of Pastors. The Holy Calling and Responsibility of Pastors. In our coming to the final chapter of Peter's letter, I think it's interesting to note that in the first four verses of 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter gives a word of exhortation on how God's people should interact in relation to their spiritual leaders. And in so doing, Peter is emphasizing how Christians should live their lives for Christ in yet another sphere of life. Having addressed how Christians should live as citizens under kings and governors in chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, having addressed how Christians should live as servants under masters, In chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Having addressed how Christian wives should live in submission to their husbands. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Having mentioned that Christian husbands have a responsibility to dwell with their wives. In chapter 3, verse 7. Now in chapter 5, Peter is addressing how Christian pastors ought to lead those under their care. And how Christian people 
ought to submit to those who are leading them in the context of the church. And in doing this, Peter is emphasizing two essential biblical truths. First, he is emphasizing the fact that every Christian ought to be connected with and under the leadership of specific pastors. And second, Peter is emphasizing the fact that Christianity is not a compartmentalized faith. And by this I mean Christians ought to act like Christians in every sphere of life. In the whole of the epistle of 1 Peter, Peter is teaching us that Christians have an obligation to live for Christ in the world. Christians have an obligation to live for Christ in the workplace. Christians have an obligation to live for Christ in the home. Christians have an obligation to live for Christ in the church. Peter has covered all the bases, so to speak. From 1 Peter chapter 1 to 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter has emphasized the importance of maintaining a godly testimony in every realm of life. So this means then that contrary to how some people who profess the name of Christ live, the Bible knows nothing of being a Christian only on Sundays. The Bible knows nothing of putting on Christ for church and taking off Christ when one gets home from church. The Bible knows nothing of living for Christ at home and acting like the world when you are around your unsaved co-workers. Likewise, the Bible knows nothing of being a Christian at home, being a Christian at the workplace, being a Christian in the world while purposely refusing to submit yourself to a church family. In 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, Peter is teaching us that it is needful for the believer to be united with and connected to a local church being led by spiritual shepherds. Peter is teaching us that God has ordained that all Christians be in fellowship one with another in the context of a tangible flock that they can personally belong to with known shepherds and known sheep. So getting ahead of myself a little bit, this destroys the commonly held idea that Christians are justified, quote, having church by themselves in the privacy of their own homes. It shatters the false notion that one can substitute being among a church in person with choosing their favorite TV preachers or YouTube evangelists. God has ordained that His people be joined together in a local body being led by known, qualified leadership. And speaking of leadership, this is who Peter exhorts, beginning in verse 1. Addressing the elders, addressing the spiritual shepherds, addressing the pastors of the flock, Peter sets before us the holy calling and responsibility of pastors. And I find it interesting that God thinks that it's appropriate for everyone to hear and know what elders are to do. 
Think about this for a moment. God could have given the elders a private letter detailing their roles and responsibility without everybody else knowing about it, but he didn't do that. God could have avoided mentioning the particulars of what pastors are to give themselves to in the preservation of his word, but he didn't. And I believe he did not do this because God wants everyone to know what pastors are to be and what pastors have been called of God to do. In the mentioning of these things, I'm convinced that God wants even the elders among the church to be accountable to God's people. Lest the church ignorantly follows and supports a pastor who is giving himself to things that he shouldn't, God would have the entire congregation to know what the God-given task and responsibility of a spiritual leader involves. So that being said, looking to our text, I want you to carefully notice what God expects of those who preach and pastor. And before we do so, I want to make sure that we understand that Peter, coming to this text, supposes three things to be true of the elders in this exhortation. First, he supposes that these pastors are born-again Christian men. It's not written in the text, but we know it to be true as the Word of God details what Christian ministry is all about, that there's an underlining supposition that Christian pastors should be Christian. A gospel preacher must be one who embraces the gospel. So Peter supposes that these elders, these shepherds, these overseers have a personal, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. He supposes that they have an experiential knowledge of the things of God, not just an educational knowledge of God. That's supposition number one. As you trace the Old Testament and the New Testament, you will see that one of the most important qualifications of a prophet, of an apostle, of one who is sent out, is to be a Christian minister. The second thing Peter supposes that these pastors are within their ministry is that they are God-called men. Peter supposes that God has sovereignly and specifically called these men to preach and minister God's word. Now, let me remind you that Peter himself was a God-called preacher. It was Jesus who sought out Peter and called him to be among those who he would send out to preach. Having previously been a fisherman, God uniquely called and equipped Peter to be a spiritual shepherd among Christ's church. And this is important. Peter wasn't mama called. Peter wasn't church called. Peter wasn't self-appointed. Peter was put into ministry by God. And the same is true of Moses. The same is true of Samuel, of Jeremiah, 
of Saul of Tarsus and all true prophets and apostles. I know we live in a day that belittles and questions the call to preach and the call to ministry. But again, what I am telling you is Bible truth. No preacher chooses to preach God's word of his own accord. It's God who calls him to preach. It's God who equips the called and it's God who sends the equipped and called. And I'm submitting to you this morning that Peter is assuming that these elders have been specifically, inwardly called of God into ministry. And in the third truth, Peter assumes of these elders is that they are biblically qualified men. They are biblically qualified men. Peter supposes that these pastors meet the same biblical qualifications mentioned in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. He supposes that they are men who walk the walk before they talk the talk. He supposes that they are striving to be Christ-like examples to the flock, not only telling others how to live the Christian life, but showing others how to live the Christian life. These elders are those who are not merely saying, do as I say, but do as I do. Remember, Paul said, follow me as I follow the Lord. So do you have these three truths cemented into your mind? They're important for you to know. All pastors must be born again. They must have a credible testimony of faith. They must demonstrate sufficient proof of knowing the Lord, not just intellectually, but through the saving process of conversion. And you would be surprised how many unconverted pastors are out there within so-called Christian churches. Remember Matthew chapter 7. Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody who preaches in the name of Christ is a true Christian. There are fakes. There are imposters. There are men who are self-righteous, thinking that their ministry for the Lord is somehow their merit to heaven itself. But the Bible tells us all pastors must be first Christians. And then number two, all pastors must be uniquely called of God. They must have a testimony of submitting to the inner impulse of God's Spirit to preach, and they must have a testimony of others within the context of the church evaluating and affirming such call. And then all pastors must be biblically qualified. If pastors do not meet the specific qualifications Laid out in God's Word, they cannot and must not be a leader in Christ's church. If, quote, ministers are not shepherding according to the shepherd's manual, it doesn't matter what they call themselves. They are not to be followed and they are not to be listened to. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. God's work is to be done in God's way. God's church is to be led by certain men. It's not for us to choose. It's for us to obey. 
So there are the presumptions of Peter. Peter presumes that these pastors are Christians. He presumes that these pastors have been called to preach. And he presumes that these pastors are living exemplary lives. Now, turning to the holy responsibilities of pastors listed in verse 2, I want you to notice what the primary responsibility ought to be. Have you ever wondered what a pastor does from Sunday to Sunday? There's a rumor out there in this world that the pastor only works one day a week. And now that we're living in an age where a pastor only preaches on Sunday morning, the rumor has it that the pastor only works for an hour or two on Sunday morning. So why do we financially support gospel ministers? What are they supposed to be given to? What does God say? In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, we find the primary responsibility of a pastor is to give himself preeminently to feed God's sheep. Now, before I proceed any further, I want you to take careful notice of what the text does not say. The text does not say that the primary responsibility of a pastor is to organize social events in the church so that people can make new friends and people are not bored throughout the week. The text does not say that the primary responsibility of a pastor is to entertain the sheep and the goats so that people will have a good time when they come into the house of God. The text does not say that the primary responsibility of a pastor is to act as a CEO over a business and give himself to various administrative tasks so that the church will look successful in the eyes of men. The text does not say that the primary responsibility of a pastor is to spend hours wasting time on social media debating theology with every grump who wants to argue. The text emphatically says that the primary responsibility of a pastor is to feed the flock of God. Now, this is not to say that pastors must not be involved in evangelizing the lost. This is not to say that pastors shouldn't be actively involved in overseeing the various needs of the church as they arrive. Titus chapter 1 verse 5 explains that. But this is to say that the greater portion of his time should be given to feeding the souls of men. Through public preaching, through personal counseling, through discipling, through visiting others in their homes, the pastor is to teach God's people what God expects of them. The pastor is to teach God's people how God would have them to live. Peter says... Feed the flock. And this exhortation is the same exhortation that Jesus told Peter after Jesus rose from the dead. Remember on the shore? As Peter was having a pity party? As he was ready to throw in the towel, having been called of God to preach God's word, Jesus appears to his shepherd. Peter, and says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, three times, yes, yes, and amen. Peter, 
feed my sheep. That's your responsibility. Feed them. That's exactly what Peter's doing in this letter. From 1 Peter chapter 1 to 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter is doing what Jesus has called him to do. He is feeding the flock God's word. And this is the primary responsibility of all elders, all shepherds, all pastors. Now, zooming in on this truth in further detail, I want to point out four connected elements of the pastor's feeding. So we see that the primary responsibility, the first thing that Peter mentions is the need to feed the flock. But let's back away from that for a moment. Let's zoom out and ask the questions that need to be asked in the consideration of this main responsibility. And the first truth I want us to recognize is what pastors ought to feed the flock. What is it that pastors should feed? It's not specifically mentioned here. But we know through the examples of the prophets, the apostles, and Jesus himself, as well as the directives that Paul gives Timothy, that pastors are to feed the flock sheep food. That makes sense. The sheep like sheep food, not goat food. Feed the flock. Not the goats. Feed the flock. Feed them what? The Word of God. Paul told Timothy, Timothy, preach the Word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Pastors are to preach the Word, not politics. Pastors are to preach the Word, not their own ideas. Pastors are to preach the word, not traditions of men. Pastors are to preach the word, not what is enjoyed and accepted by the culture. Pastors are to preach the word, not tell funny, feel-good stories that make everyone feel happy. To preach the word means to preach the whole counsel of God. The preacher is to be a man who operates by, thus saith the Lord. So, feed the flock. What do we feed? We feed the Word of God. We feed sheep food. The second truth I want us to recognize is how this is done. So, the question is asked, how is a pastor expected to feed the flock? Well, there's only one way. A pastor can only feed the flock appropriately as he knows God's Word intimately. A pastor can only feed others... That which he personally knows. This means then that if a pastor is to feed the flock, he must give himself to the study of God's word. And this is what Acts chapter 6 verse 4 expects gospel ministers to do. Acts chapter 6 verse 4 expects gospel ministers to give themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Remember the context in the first century church, there were physical needs that needed to be met Widows were being neglected. And the pastors, the elders, the spiritual overseers were in a straight betwixt two, as Paul says. 
There was a true need that needed to be truly taken care of in the church, but God had called them to give themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so God in his grace ordains deacons to take care of that which is physical so that pastors can take care of that which is spiritual. The men cried out, we will give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of God's word. Paul told Timothy in the pastoral epistles to give himself to reading, to learning, to doctrine, to understanding what God's word says before he delivers it to others. Listen, a pastor must be a man who dwells in the presence of the good shepherd before he dwells in the presence of the sheep. Like Moses, a pastor must be a man who dwells on the top of the mount of God before he comes down to deliver God's message. You see, preaching is not some trifling lecture. Preaching is the message from heaven. Preaching involves hearing not the voice of the pastor, but hearing the voice of God. And it's the pastor who ought to be the channel through which God speaks to his flock. So if you're wondering what a pastor does all week, you need to know that much of his time is given, or should I say, much of his time ought to be given to preparing to feed the souls of sheep. Hours upon hours goes into preparing the meals That a pastor serves from the pulpit. The pastor is like a chef. While the sermon is served and devoured within 35 to 45 minutes. There are hours put into thinking and praying and wrestling with God. And organizing the message so that what he says can be properly understood. Contrary to what some people believe. True pastors do not quickly whip something together at the last minute on Saturday evening. At least they shouldn't. Think of it as a sponge. During the weekdays, the pastor fills himself up with the Word of God so that when he comes together in the church meetings, he might pour himself out for God's people so that God's people might be spiritually cleansed so that they might grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ Through the water of the word. There is an inflation and deflation process that the pastor goes through every week. The pastor is to soak in God's word. And then the pastor is to dispense God's word. And he can only dispense God's word as he soaks in God's word. That's why sometimes you go to places. You sit under a pastor several times and you get nothing from it. It seems so dry, seems so impractical. Well, the correlation is he's not giving himself to study the word of God, to prepare to feed the flock. He's busy watching sports. He's busy about trivial matters, not taking his calling seriously. God's people want to be fed. God's people want to grow. God's people want to follow the good shepherd and it's the responsibility of the under shepherd to point them to the good shepherd. So a pastor must give himself week by week to the teaching and preaching of God's word. If a pastor is to feed the flock, as God says, 
He must know what God says. And then the third truth I want us to recognize in the feeding of the flock is who the pastor ought to feed. Who the pastor ought to feed. So we see the primary responsibility and calling of the pastor. Feed the flock. What is the to feed? The word. The word. How? By getting in the word. Knowing Christ. Being ready to feed the flock. And now we come to the question, who is the pastor primarily responsible to feed? Notice what verse 2 says. Exhorting the elders, Peter says, feed the flock of God which is among you. Did you catch it? Who's the pastor responsible to feed? He's responsible to feed the flock that is among them. Not everyone, not nobody in particular, but the flock that is among them. This means that pastors are to feed the people who have come under his pastoral care. This means also that the pastor is only responsible to feed those who belong to a particular congregation he is overseeing. Which means also that church membership is not some man-made idea. Church membership allows the shepherds and the sheep to know who is responsible to who. It's similar to the exhortation given to the servants and the wives. In 1 Peter, servants are to subject themselves to who? All masters? No. Servants are to subject themselves to their own masters. That's what Peter says. Likewise with the wives. Wives, you are to be in subjection, not to all husbands. It's not the call of all husbands to come into your home and tell you what you must do. No. Wives, you be in subjection to your own husbands. Same Truth being spread throughout the epistle. Peter is writing to a group of people who had elders who knew the people and people who knew their elders. It wasn't some vague, unknown fellowship. It wasn't something Christians could casually come in and out of. And this truth unites with the truth given in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and Hebrews chapter 13. God asserts that Christians ought to know the leaders who are over them in the Lord and they ought to follow those who watch for their souls. So I hate to break it. But this concept that Charles Stanley is my pastor is not biblical. Now, Charles Stanley might be a helpful preacher on TV that you benefit from. There may have been a season in which you were locked in your house and you could not get to a congregation that was meeting in person. But to say that Charles Stanley is your pastor does not meet with what God's Word says. Has Charles Stanley ever met you? Does he know anything about you? Have you had direct face-to-face contact with him? Have you come before the church and said... I agree with the fellowship of this church and I'm committing myself to this flock. In this digital age that we live in, we need to get back to the truths of God's word. Internet church is not church. Or choose whatever your favorite pastor, preacher, ministry is. Peter says, feed the flock of God that is among you. 
Not feed every Christian. Not feed nobody in particular. Feed those you know. Feed those God has brought under your care. Feed those that you've led to the Lord and baptized. Feed those who are of like faith and practice. Who's the pastor responsible for? Those who are among the flock. Those who are joined together within the body. And finally, I want us to recognize why pastors ought to feed the flock. Why? We've seen what pastors are called to do. They are called to feed the flock. We've seen what pastors are called to feed the flock. They're called to feed the flock God's word. We've seen how pastors are to feed the flock God's word. They can only feed God's word as they know God's word. And then we see who pastors are responsible to feed. They are to feed the flock that is among them. Now, finally, I want us to think about why pastors ought to feed the flock. Why has God ordained pastors to feed his sheep? Because pastors are bored, have nothing to do. So we've got to make them busy doing something. No, it's because through the means of preaching that God's flock grows to be more like Christ, the shepherd of our souls. God has ordained through the foolishness of preaching. They're being confronted with the word of God. That we know God's will. God has ordained that through pastors preaching and pastoring, that the church is reminded of what God expects of them. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12. And he, God, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's why pastors preach. That's why pastors pastors. They feed the flock because God says feed the flock. They feed the flock because through their feeding, we grow in holiness and we grow to be more like Christ. Through the ministry of pastors, we remain accountable to God and to one another. God knows that we're prone to wonder. God knows we're prone to forget what God's word says. So the pastor, Christ's under-shepherd, is called of God to come near to the flock and point them back to Christ. You see, the pastor is not in ministry. At least he should not be in ministry for himself. The pastor is in ministry for Christ and for others. For you. Now, you don't have to like God's ordained way, but it's God's ordained way. You can kick against it all you want and say, well, I can read the Bible privately and I can get just as much out of it. Yeah, but you need somebody up in your grill to say... Stop doing what you're doing and start doing what you need to do. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering, And it's good for us. I've grown in the Lord immensely under the care of biblical, God-fearing pastors and preachers. I've grown to know the Lord through His Word more deeply, through sermons that I hear throughout the years. And the same is true with you. You look back, you can't remember most of the sermons that you heard, but you know that it's in you. You can't remember what you ate three weeks ago, but you needed it to survive. You're here today because you ate something three weeks ago. What did you have for dinner last month? Uh, I don't know. But it got me to the next day. 
Because that's God's ordained way of living, and so it is in the spiritual life. And then verse 4 tells us that one day, Christian leaders will receive a reward from Christ for their faithful service. Why should pastors feed the flock? Because one day they will give an account to the senior pastor. They are they which watch for your souls as those who will give an account. It's a humbling responsibility. And that's why the pastor ought to take these things very, very seriously. It's not something to be flippant about. It's not something to be casual about. We're going to give an account of our ministry to the shepherd. And even now as we minister, the shepherd is watching He's seeing how faithful we are to the shepherd's manual. Now, drawing to a conclusion, let me give you three thoughts of application. So you're here this morning, hearing the pastor preach a sermon on the holy calling and responsibility of a pastor. And you're saying to yourself, I'm not a pastor, pastor, so how does this apply to me? You're sitting here this morning wondering... What am I supposed to take home from this message? How can I apply biblical truth to my daily practical life with this sermon on elders? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm about to tell you three thoughts of consideration. Number one, number one, we need to revive a high and holy expectation of the pastorate. Let me say it again. We need to revive a high and holy expectation of the pastorate. There used to be a day in which the pastorate was viewed and treated with holy dignity. There used to be a day in which pastors, preachers, and physicians of souls used to be respected as men who were called of God, men who are called to speak for God. And that day is almost gone. And part of it can be blamed on pastors treating the ministry flippantly and casually, but part of it can be blamed also on churches and church members for not coming to the Word of God and saying, hey, God expects me to have a spiritual shepherd. So my first point of application is we must not treat this position lightly. The casual attitude of, well... It doesn't matter who preaches. It doesn't matter who the shepherds are. It doesn't really matter how they preach. It needs to be abandoned at once. It does matter. Why? Because God says it matters. And beyond that, eternal souls are at stake. You do understand, every time I preach, I'm preaching as a dying man to dying men. Every time I stand behind this pulpit, I'm preaching on the precipice of eternity. It ought to be taken seriously. Just as a heart surgeon takes his surgery seriously, doesn't come into the operating room with shorts and tank top and listening to hard rock music and just nonchalant about let's get this surgery done so the spiritual shepherd is to be a spiritual physician dealing with the hearts of men because he's been assigned by God. We need to revive in Christianity today a 
holy and high expectation of the pastorate. Who is the pastor? He's to be a physician of souls. Now, he can't change hearts, but he's being guided by the good physician, by the surgeon of souls. This is for pastors to hear, too. High and holy expectation of the pastorate. Truth number two, we need to hold all pastors to the biblical expectations God has outlined in His Word. If a man desires to be a pastor, we need to hold him up to the qualifications of God's Word. If a pastor is slacking in his calling, listen, it's the duty of the church to approach the pastor and figure out why he's slacking in his calling. If a pastor is neglecting his responsibility for whatever reason, it's the business of the church to do something about it. If a pastor becomes unqualified and in his unqualified state he refuses to step down, it's the obligation of the church to either pray him out or vote him out. Why? Again, because God's work ought to be done in God's way. It's not for us to choose, it's for us to obey. And this ties in with our Sunday evening series on worship. The spiritual downfall of our nation can be drawn back to spiritual leaders who are not doing their work spiritually. If we don't do God's work in God's way, we will not know God's blessing. Much of the nonsense that is taking place in our churches, in Christianity, can be drawn back to the leaders. We need to hold all pastors to the biblical expectations God has outlined in His Word. And then truth number three, we need to pray that pastors will faithfully do what God has called them to do. So here's a sermon on the elders. Here's a sermon on pastors and preachers. What can we take from it? How can we apply truth to our life now? Well, in your daily prayers to God, pray for pastors and preachers. Pray for your pastor. There are so many distractions in ministry. There are so many traps the wicked one sets up to take the leader down because the wicked one knows if he can take down the leader, he can take down sheep who are following the leader. Pastors, more than ever, are tempted to rely upon every man-made gimmick, every promised church-grow method, when the Word of God has called him to feed the flock. So pray that the pastor would keep his nose in the book. Pray that despite what people want, the pastor will give the people what they need. Pray that he will fear God over men. Pray that the pastor will be a man of resolve. Pray that your pastor would be a man of courage. Pray that your pastor would preach the Word of God authoritatively, whether people like it or not. Next week, God willing, from this text, I want to examine the holy attitude and disposition of pastors. Having looked at their duties today, next week I want to examine their disposition. In the giving of the responsibility of pastors, Peter also deals with who the pastor should be. And it's just important 
for the pastor to be in the pastor's doing. Because the pastor cannot do unless the pastor first is. Both go hand in hand. What the church needs are not just ministers, but holy ministers of God. Examples to the flock. So Peter says here, feed my sheep. 